Well, if we haven't met before, and there are some new faces today, which is superb, my name's Owen, uh, and I have the privilege of leading the team here at Foundation Church. Uh, and I just want to add my welcome to that of Dave's earlier. So I'm so glad that you're with us today. It's great to have you here. We are just a few weeks into a series that we've begun called Summer Fruit. And in this series, we are spending nine weeks looking at what the Bible refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. And in essence, I guess, the fruit of the Spirit is a series of character traits that the Bible teaches we will see in the life of Christians as they grow in relationship with God and as they receive His Spirit's work in their life. And we read, it's up on the slide here, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And they're all attributes. We said a few weeks ago when we started this series that there's not one of us would go, no, I don't want that. Like We recognize that they're good things, but we also recognize that in and of ourselves, like just by gritting our teeth and trying harder, like determining to try to be better, like we can't conjure those things up like we might kind of muster the energy to to kind of do them in short bursts but in a sustained way we just like we can't do it through our own efforts we need God to grow these things in us Uh, and so we're spending these weeks looking at that and today we're going to look at the fruit of peace in our lives I think this subject of peace is one that has been essential throughout the whole of human history, but I think it would be fair to say that today, possibly more so than than at any other time, there seems to be almost an epidemic level of issues of anxiety and stress and worry in our society. You know, the waiting list for kind of mental health referrals is terrifyingly long, even for children. Children struggling with mental health issues, with anxiety or depression or some other associated issue, the the wait lists are into the multiples of years. There's clearly something lacking in our society when it comes to peace. And so I think it's important for us to look at this subject. And as I spent time praying and preparing for today, I felt it right to base ourselves in John chapter 14. And so if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to to open it up or turn it on if it's on a device. The the words are going to come up on the screen so you can follow along there. And we're going to read together from John chapter 14. Now there are loads and loads of places we could go in the Bible to talk about peace. In fact, Brian, during our worship time, said the Apostle Paul starts almost all of his New Testament letters to churches with this greeting of grace and peace to you. David started the meeting by reading some words of Paul's to the Philippian church. And in there, he talked about that as we give everything to God in prayer, that the the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's so many places we could go, but I I felt it was right to go here and read the words that Jesus spoke to his friends, his disciples, just the night before 
He went to the cross. Thursday night before Good Friday, as he spent his last moments on earth with his dearest friends, he spoke to them. He, he wanted to leave them with certain things ringing in their ears before he went to the cross. He spoke the words that we're going to read today to his friends with Calvary in full view. He knew exactly what lay ahead for him. And he knew what lay ahead for them as well. The fear that they would experience. And beyond that, the persecution that they would experience at the hands of those who sought to quash this Jesus movement. So as he goes to the cross, he leaves them and in turn us with these words of comfort. We're going to read from verse 15 through to 29, although we will spend kind of much of our time focusing in on just a couple of verses, but it's helpful for us to see in the context that Jesus spoke to them. So we read this from verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is Jesus promising his spirit, the same spirit that's going to grow this fruit of peace in our hearts and lives. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place. So when it does take place, you may believe. Lord, I pray that as we open your word now, as, as we dig into these words that you spoke to your disciples and the peace that you promised, Holy Spirit, I ask, would you take this word and apply it to our hearts and lives today? Lord, I pray that your word would take root and bear fruit in our lives for your glory and for the good of those around us, we ask. Amen. Good. So in these verses, with the cross in full view, in a nutshell, Jesus says to his disciples, guys, 
I'm going away, but I'm sending my spirit, my very presence to be with you, to, to assure you of my love for you, to assure you of your salvation, to remind you of all that I've shared with you over the time I've been with you. I'm going. I'm going to the cross to make peace between you and God. But I'm going to send my spirit, so don't be troubled. And Jesus offers them peace against this backdrop of the cross and of them being scared about him leaving. And there's, there's so much we can learn about the kind of peace that Jesus gives and how we might receive it or how it might grow in our hearts from these few verses. And the first thing that we need to observe about the peace that Jesus offers is that he wants us to be clear that this is a different kind of peace to that which the world offers. Do you notice that? And he said to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He says, not as the world gives. Jesus is clear, and so should we be, that the world or the things of this world offer us a kind of peace. And actually, I think it's the kind of peace that we most often think of and look for and try to construct for ourselves in some way. But this kind of peace is very different to the peace that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. So how does the world give peace? If, if, we need, if we want to differentiate, and Jesus says it's not like the world gives, how does the world give peace? Well, it's a peace of mind. It's a circumstantial peace. Peace of mind rooted perhaps in job security or financial security. Maybe a sense of peace and security because of the constraint of law over those who would cause harm. Peace because of the police, perhaps. Or not, actually, as is often the view, increasingly for people. Peace because of having the baddies locked up. that gives us some sense of we can sleep well at night because those who would do harm have been dealt with. Peace of mind because we have a decent pension pot. Or not. <laughs> Peace of mind because of insurance, health insurance, life insurance, car insurance, home insurance, holiday insurance. Like, <laughs> insurance for everything, phone insurance, gadget insurance. Like, we insure everything, why? To give us some kind of peace of mind. Peace from conflict at a macro scale, peace by political means between nations or at a micro level, peace in our own personal relationships with others. But all of these things, all of these avenues to peace that we pursue can go, can't they? Like They're fragile. 
COVID reminded us of that quite abruptly a couple of years ago. We continue to feel the effects of it. The invasion recently of the Ukraine by Russia, terrorist attacks, shootings, the news almost daily, financial crisis, earthquakes and natural disasters, redundancy perhaps, maybe some personal health issue, cancer, the death of a loved one, all of these things remove that kind of temporary circumstantial peace that we try to construct for ourselves. See, the kind of peace that the world gives is fragile, it is temporary, it is not enduring. It's a kind of peace that can be taken away. And Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to you today, that's not the kind of peace I give to you. The kind of peace I give to you cannot be taken away. It is not temporary. It is not fragile. It is not based on circumstances. I won't give you peace like that. Jesus' peace is not the absence of turmoil or trouble or financial difficulty or opposition or conflict, actually. The peace Jesus offers is peace through trial and trouble. Peace in spite of circumstances and challenges and difficulties and loss. Peace in the midst of those things. We read over and over and over again in Scripture. And even on this same evening before Jesus went to the cross, he's clear with his followers. They'll have troubles. Jesus doesn't offer Peace that is an absence of troubles, that is plain sailing on the calm seas of life. That's not the kind of peace he offers. You know, we thumb ahead into chapter 16 of John, verse 33. Jesus, in this same occasion with his disciples as he's continued talking to them, he says this to them. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you have peace. We're good so far. Thank you, Jesus. But then he says, in the world you will have tribulation or troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't offer us an absence of difficulty. He offers us a deep peace in the midst of difficulty. Totally different to the kind of peace that the world has on offer for us, isn't it? It's so much better. I want that kind of peace. I want peace that endures, regardless of what life throws at me, regardless of what circumstances and situations I'm faced with. I don't want the kind of peace that's reliant or dependent on those things. What's the basis for this peace that Jesus offers? How can we have peace in all of those things? Well, we find clues in the verses that Jesus spoke to them and the context in which he spoke it. And the first is that he spoke it on the eve of going to the cross. 
Christ went to the cross to achieve for us the most significant form of peace that each one of us needs, and that is peace between us and God. That we would not be at odds with God anymore, that we would not be separated from him, but that because of what Christ did at the cross, because he took our punishment upon himself, that we could be united with God, that we could have peace with him, that we could be reconciled to him, never to be separated again not enemies of God any longer, but welcomed into his family as sons, daughters, as co-heirs with Jesus. <laughs> it's the most phenomenal kind of peace. That's the first thing. And the second is this, is that Jesus' words give his disciples and in turn us an incredible insight into the fact that he is in control. If someone kept telling you what was going to happen before it happened, and then it happened, you would pretty quickly get the idea that they were quite powerful, wouldn't you? Like if they just kept on saying to you, hey, this is what's going to happen, and when it does, because I've told you in advance, like then you'll believe, you'll be reassured, because I, I, like, I am in control over all of it. I'm telling you, this is how it's going to work. And that's exactly what Jesus does here with his disciples. He's again and again and again as he's journeyed with them, told them, this is what's going to happen. (laughs) And then sure enough, it does. And on the eve of his crucifixion again, he's reminded them, I'm going to the cross. I'm going, but I'm going to send a helper. My father's going to pour out the spirit on you. And then we read this in verse 29. I don't know if you noticed it when we read it first time out, but he says this to them. He says, and I... Now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you will believe. He's wanting to reassure them. Guys, I'm in control. You can trust me. I'm more powerful. Whatever you go through, whatever storms, whatever suffering, whatever trial, I'm bigger. I'm in control. You can trust me. In verse 33 of chapter 16, we just read a moment ago, he said, I've said these things to you, that in me you have peace. It's like, I I told you it, so that when it happens, you'll have peace. When it happens, you'll remember that I told you, and you won't be surprised. You'll be assured, comforted, that I'm in control, that I see your circumstances I know your suffering. We have a saviour who, who knows what we're going through and who cares, who loves. And in the end, he says to them, know this, I have overcome the world. I'm bigger and more powerful than any circumstance you face. I've got victory over the whole lot. So in me you can have peace. Jesus wins. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of like spoiler. End of the story, spoiler alert. Jesus wins. <laughs> Putting your trust in Jesus. Relying on him for your peace and security and comfort is like placing all you've got on the winning horse, knowing in advance the outcome of the race. 
Like it's the safest, most secure bet you could possibly place. Because it's already done. (laughs) He's been to the cross. He's paid the price for your sin. And he's risen again victorious, conquering death. So that we can have comfort. That just as he has been raised, so those who trust in him will also be raised with him. And will be with him forever in his presence. What an incredible hope. What cause for peace. Whatever circumstances we face, we have a cause for incredible peace, do we not? That's what Jesus wants us to know. Jesus reassures them as he goes to the cross of what they need to know and what we need to know too. That he's good. That he loves them. He loves you. That he has their best interests at heart. That he will use even circumstances they wouldn't choose and that will be difficult and challenging for their good and their growth and their maturity to cause them to lean on him and depend on him and rely on him all the more. And that he is in control. And this combination of knowing that he loves you and that he's good and that he's also in control over all things is absolute dynamite when it comes to peace. Like it's it's rocket fuel for peace. Because if God was good, like if he loved you and was for you and had your best interests at heart but was impotent, powerless to do anything, then I suppose it may be of some comfort that he loved you. But it would be of scant comfort, really, because he would be powerless to really do anything to help in your time of trouble. And if God were all-powerful but didn't love you, was kind of at best neutral towards you, that would be terrifying, would it not? But we're reassured over and over and over again in Scripture that He loves you, that He's for you, and that He's in control, that He rules and reigns supremely over all things, and as such, we can trust Him. We can rest in Him. We can find peace. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Isn't isn't this an incredible declaration of love for his followers? Just remember what's about to happen. Jesus is about to go through the agony and anguish of the cross. He's about to be tortured in the most gruesome way that humans have ever come up with the most painful, excruciating death he's about to endure, though he's done no wrong. He's going to do it out of love. He's going to take their place, your place. And in this moment, as he looks at his disciples and offers them peace, knowing what lies ahead for him, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. 
I mean, how phenomenal is that? I don't know about you. If I were about to face the cross, I think I'd be concerned about whether my heart was troubled, what lay ahead of me, what my concerns or anxieties or fears might be about what lay ahead. And yet in that moment, Jesus Christ considered you, considered his friends, said, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's phenomenal, isn't it? He's powerful beyond measure. He's in control. And he loves you. You might not have very much of the kind of peace that the world offers. Some of you, even in recent weeks, have experienced maybe a lack of that kind of peace. For Chloe and Elliot, who've gone through incredible challenge with health over the last months. Chloe, who we were praying for last Sunday, we're so pleased she's out of hospital this week. But the kind of peace that the world craves for and seeks to construct, as a family, they've not known much of that, yet I know that they've known the kind of peace Jesus has to offer to us. We might not have much of the kind of peace that the world gives, but as those who hope in Jesus, we have a deeper and more profound, secure peace. As Paul put it when he wrote to the Philippian church and Dave mentioned earlier, a kind of peace that passes all understanding, a peace that you can't grasp or create for yourself, a peace that doesn't make sense of your circumstance or situations, a peace that comes from knowing beyond doubt that God is good, that he is in control and that he is working for your good and that because of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, your future is secure. This kind of peace allows you to get things in perspective, to not be thrown around on the ups and downs of life. It's interesting to know as well as this kind of temporary, circumstantial peace that the world offers. I mentioned a few weeks ago when we started this series that all of the fruit of the Spirit has a kind of counterfeit that we can kind of mistake for fruit of the Spirit. Just a, something in people's temperament that could appear like fruit of the Spirit. And I think it's worth us observing that about peace too. Because some people can exhibit something that looks like peace on the surface in the way they respond to the ups and downs of life. And, and this counterfeit is actually indifference. It's very easy to feel and appear peaceful when you don't really care. So if you don't care what happens to others in another land, then you won't worry about it. It's not going to bother you a great deal. Like, if you don't really care for them, then you'll probably still have a good deal of peace when you hear of wars. If you don't care what the outcome of an election is on a different kind of scale, then you're not going to worry about it. No, I don't care. What difference does it really make? They're all the same, aren't they? If you don't care about the environment because pff, it'll be the next generation's problem anyway I'll be gone before global warning's really an issue then you're not going to worry about it 
See, this kind of indifference could look on the surface like peace. But it isn't. People can also use this kind of indifference, counterfeit peace as a defense mechanism too. That means they exhibit peace in the way they relate to others. If I don't let anyone too close, if I keep my guard up, if I don't allow myself to get too close or care too much, don't allow myself to be too vulnerable and let them in, then I won't get hurt if I lose them or they leave. That's not real peace either. That's not relational peace. It's indifference. It's coldness. We can and should care deeply about people. We can and should care deeply about what is happening in this world. We can and should care deeply about those in the Ukraine. We should care about what's happening with the environment. We should care about what happens in this world. It isn't peace to just kind of close our eyes and ears and exhibit indifference. In fact, the gospel demands that we care for others and for the world that we have been given to steward. But we recognize that the best way we can care, the best way we can care for others, is to do all we can and to pray and trust situations to an almighty God. To do all we can, to give our all, to serve, to be generous wherever we can, to seek, to meet need wherever we have the means to do so but then to pray and to trust God with those situations. We, we can do everything we can, and then we can trust him with the outcome. We can rest in his care and control. I want to invite Mark Bristow up, because I think this is just going to help serve us to see what it looks like to know the peace of God in the storms of life. And so hopefully that's on. Cool. So, Mark, you guys went through something of a storm as a family when Isaac was pretty tiny. Do you just want to share briefly what happened, how that all came about? Go on. Yeah, sure. So, we've got, um, so I've got three kids, they're now five, seven, and nine. Um, and when our youngest was nine months old, he um, got pneumonia. Um, and within a very short space of time, we found ourselves in hospital. Um, trying to get him looked after he was yeah it was quite poorly um it was a very difficult situation i don't know if there's any slides up here it's a few pictures um but yeah he's he's a tiny little body lovely kids and there he is you know in hospital struggling with life um it's quite difficult for my wife and i to cope with in all honesty um it's a very stressful very difficult situation um, obviously, you've got him unwell, then you've got the other two kids trying to live life as well, in and out of school, carrying on, dealing with their emotions, dealing with our emotions, and trying to just be at, yeah, be at peace with the situation as well was quite a challenge. Mm. But, um, yeah, that's, the, that's what happened. That's where we found ourselves. Yeah. So I imagine that, as you just said, that's really tough. Yeah. Like, as a father, you want to 
care for him, a certain degree of helplessness that you feel in that situation. Um, but you've spoken to me before a number of times, and I've heard you kind of talking to other people, even here in the Climbing Centre at times, um, about actually the peace that you had, even in the kind of darkest moment of him in hospital. Can you just share a bit with us about that? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously, it's, it's a difficult time of life. Um, Isaac was in the high dependency unit for a while um, and hooked up to all sorts of machines. Grace, my wife, was there with him on hostel for a week. Um, I was at home trying to deal with kids, trying to be in hostel to be with them as well. Um, and at, there were at times where we were in hospital where Isaac was hooked up to these machines and the alarms were all going off in this unit um, and a whole bunch of people rushed in, stood around his bed and sort of just got around him. We had to take a step back, which was very difficult. Mm. Um, and then th they sort of told us that he was battling with like, borderline sepsis as well. So we kind of got a picture of where this was going at that stage. Um, you know, his, his body was struggling with itself. Um, so, yeah, just a very difficult, difficult time. And I think it was probably in that moment where my wife and I had to step back and everyone else stepped in. We realized just how out of control we were <laughs> and how little influence we had over that situation. Um, but we also just felt deep down this peace to not stress, to not worry, to not, to not just be caught up in the darkness of that potential mm -hmm. situation. And I think as we stood back, stood back, I think we just trusted God fully in that moment. It just said, God, this is, this is yours. This is you. This is not us. Clearly, we can't do anything here. This mm -hmm. is all you. And I think reflecting afterwards, weeks, days and weeks to come, he was in that hostel still, you know, for follow-up issues and, and all sorts of things. I think when we reflected on it, we just very much felt that God was with us, giving us that peace that yeah. surpasses all understanding. Um, yeah. And it was very clear to us that he was there, and it was quite powerful for us. Yeah, that's so good. Mm -hmm. Thank you, mate. You just... Yeah, can you explain in any, like, if you've got any way of trying to explain where that peace came from for you? So you say you felt God giving you that peace that passes understanding. Like, how do you, uh, yeah, just try and explain that to us a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think you've done a great job at it already, to be honest. Um, just sitting there, um, I think, listening to all that you've said, we've been able to identify it with it on a very personal level. But for us, um, you know, Dave read it earlier, um, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which yeah. transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's what we experienced, very much so. But yeah. for, for us, just in reflection, it's the rejoicing in the Lord always. Yeah. I'll say it again, rejoice. I think it yeah. comes out of the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father yeah. that in that moment carried us. And on reflection, we identified it as peace. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you, mate.
You know, remember we, I said just before Mark got up that, the, that real peace isn't about not caring. It's easy to exhibit something that looks like peace when you're indifferent about what's happening. Mark is not indifferent about his son. It's clear to see. Mark and Grace didn't have peace when Isaac was in hospital because they were indifferent about the outcome. They had peace because they knew a heavenly father who held them secure and who they walked with and trusted. And Mark's observation, when I said, where did that come from? And he read scripture and then he talked about rejoicing in the Lord always, walking with God, relating to him, knowing him, and being known by him. As this is where it comes from. As we walk with him, as we enjoy the relationship that he's given to us, as we enjoy intimacy with him, we grow in peace. As we keep in step with the Spirit, as we ask him to fill us and renew us by his Holy Spirit, we grow in peace. But, of course, times of crisis can and will still come, won't they? <laughs> We've said that. And there may be times that we find ourselves growing anxious and we think, oh, I, I, haven't, I'm not, I don't feel peace right now. <laughs> and I think at those times, what could happen for a Christian is you could begin to feel a sense of condemnation. What's wrong with me? Why aren't I experiencing the kind of peace that Jesus said he would offer? What do we do? when we don't seem to be growing in the fruit of peace in our lives? The answer is really simple, friends. We come back to remember who he is and what he's done for us. We come back to rejoice in the Lord always, as Mark just reminded us. And as we do, we find our delight in him and peace comes. But how do we do that practically? What does that look like? I think it's really helpful to get practical about it. I think we have to follow the fruits in our lives back to their roots in order to address them. If we just try and change the circumstance, we'll only ever obtain the kind of fragile, temporary, circumstantial peace that the world has to offer. If we just try and deal with the circumstances. If we just try and deal with the emotional fruit in our lives then that doesn't really help either because we just try to pluck the bad fruit off and be like, I need to stop worrying. I won't worry. I'm going to stop and try and like positive mental attitude. It just grows back. It doesn't work, does it? We have to get to the roots in order to change the fruit that we are experiencing. We need to ask, what am I believing or not believing about God, myself, and the world around me that's resulting in this behavior. If we take anxiety, for instance, maybe as a parent, I can't relate to this at all, but maybe as a parent, you sometimes find yourself worried or anxious about your child, their health, or the world in which they're growing up in, the prevailing culture that they are growing up in. 
and you find yourself feeling anxious, we can trace that fruit of anxiety and worry down to its roots by asking some simple questions. And I'm indebted to a guy called uh, Jeff van der Stelt, who I found really helpful on this kind of thing. He's written a book called Gospel Fluency, which I would encourage you to get hold of. I think it would do you good. Um, And I've got a couple of diagrams that I just want us to walk through really quickly because I found this tool so helpful as a way of actually tracing the fruit of our hearts that we experience down to their roots, addressing it, and setting our minds and hearts again on Jesus and what he's done. So maybe the fruit that you find you're experiencing as you're anxious about your children is a desire for control. I want to control their environment and control what they're exposed to because I'm worried about what is happening. I'm worried. (laughs) I feel anxious about how things are going to be for them. I feel a sense of fear. Like what they're exposed to is just so anti-God actually a lot of the time in this world and I'm scared what the impact of that might be. I don't know if you're a parent whether you can identify with that at all. Maybe. So we ask some questions. And the first is, as I'm feeling all of these things, what am I believing about who I am? Who am I in this? And I think often it's this kind of thing. I'm not in control and I'm worried and anxious because I'm not in control, but I feel like I need to be. I need to try and control this situation for my children. And then we step down a layer. What am I believing about what God has done? And I think when we're feeling these emotions, very often the truth is is that we believe he's stopped loving us. He doesn't care. He's indifferent. Believe maybe that he's lost control of what's going on. And therefore, I need to try and get control of what's going on because clearly God's let it all go. And so I need to grasp hold of it. And then when we peel it back to consider what might that mean we're believing about who God is, I think the tragic truth is that the behavior we're exhibiting and the emotions we're feeling at its root begins of a place actually of believing that God is unloving and impotent. He doesn't care. He doesn't seem able to do anything about it. And when we get there, we have to confess. (laughs) Because that isn't true, is it? And so we come to a point of repentance, saying, Lord, that's not true. I know that's not true about you. Yet I've allowed myself to believe that. I've allowed myself to begin believing that I have to be in control because I, I don't trust you to be because it feels like you're indifferent and unloving. Lord, I'm sorry. And then we can go the other way and we begin to replace it with truth. Who is God? What do we know from what Jesus spoke to his disciples and from Scripture and from our own experience of his kindness and his grace? He's love. 
He's powerful. He's in control. and He's present by His Spirit. And what's He done? Jesus died for you. He cares so much. He paid the price for you. He rose again from the dead. That even death holds no fear for you any longer. He sent his spirit to dwell with you, in you. And, and who am I? In him, I'm loved. I'm not alone. I don't have to be in control. Actually, I'm not in control. And I don't need to be, because he is. And I trust him. And what fruit does that grow in our lives? Peace. Guys, we need to learn to do this together as a church family. We need to learn to help speak these truths into one another's hearts and lives. To be honest, when I'm struggling right now, would you help me? Would you help me to understand what's going on in my heart and life that I might hope in him again? But before we finish, I do need to address one last thing very briefly, which is what about people with clinical depression or kind of medical anxiety issues? Because we need to be real about this, don't we? Actually, for some people, there is a medical reason for the anxiety or depression that they are feeling and experiencing. For some people, there is a chemical imbalance in their body. Their, their limbic system just isn't producing enough serotonin for some reason. Perhaps a trauma response. Some other experience they've been through that has caused this part of their brain to stop functioning the way it's designed to function. Does that mean they're in sin if they struggle with anxiety? No. No. We have to hear that. But is this still good news for them? Yes. Yes, it is. Can God heal them? Yes. Yes, he can. Will he always? No. Do I understand why? No. Is he good? Yes. Do we trust him? Yes. But being reminded of the hope of the gospel will always help. Whether your anxiety is induced by your present circumstances or through whether it's a more sustained thing that is caused medically, coming back to the hope of the gospel will always always help. Rather than assuming when we're wrestling with depression that we've fallen away from the grace of God and before trying to overanalyze our condition, we should first come back to lean again on God's promises. Our first response as Christians should be to come back again and rejoice in the Lord always. The Having in God's word objective truth about his goodness having in God's word objective truth about his love and his sovereignty and his kindness and his generosity 
that doesn't, it doesn't depend on your ability to feel it. Yeah? It just doesn't matter what you're feeling in that moment, how low you might be. We have objective truth about his goodness. And when we lean on that, we have a firm foundation, however fierce the storm of life rages. The goodness of sovereign and sovereignty of God revealed in the person and work of Jesus is a light that eclipses the most pronounced darkness you could ever experience. It's a light that your darkness could never extinguish. Lean on him. Your lack of belief doesn't detract from his authority. You need to know that. Your lack of belief doesn't detract or take away from his goodness. Your lack of ability to feel it doesn't change his love for you and his grace towards you. So however you feel, we can lean on him and know that he will give us peace just as he said he would. I want to pray for us briefly and then I'm going to invite Chris to come and lead us in communion and response to this. I wonder if you would stand with me. I think for some this afternoon, I, I want to pray for you that you, you've been wrestling for peace and you've been trying to get the kind of peace that the world has to offer. You, you've tried to pin it in all kinds of places. You're like, if I could just save enough, if I could like, secure this thing, if I could get that relationship, I, that would give me the peace I'm craving. I want to pray for you today that you would come to Jesus, that you would put your trust and faith in him and know for the first time real lasting peace. And I want to pray for others of us who just feel like we're in a storm right now. That we would know again in him real peace that passes understanding. Lord.